0: of you experienced joy in the past week. Maybe it was when the Bears beat the Cowboys last Sunday, huh? No doubt about it. Or maybe it was when the Bears beat the Packers. Wait, that's tomorrow. Okay. Well, we'll experience joy tomorrow when the Bears beat the Packers. No doubt. Or possibly it was a great meal you had. Maybe you went out this past weekend, got some pizza or some other type of great grub. And that brought some joy into your life. Or maybe it was being with a certain person. You took your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse out on a date. Went to a sporting event or one of your kids. Had a great time with them. Those are all natural gifts of joy that God gives us. Natural joy. We're talking in this series, Get the Joy, about supernatural joy. The joy that only Christ followers can experience because it's a gift from God. You can't get it any other way. God gives it to us. And it's really difficult to come up with a definition of supernatural joy that's talked about in Scripture. But I'll go with this one today. And supernatural joy is seeing life from God's point of view. Seeing life. From God's point of view. Let's unpack that. We're going to look at the book of Philippians again. We're studying this as we go throughout our Get the Joy series. And last week we looked at relationships. Joy in relationships. Today we're going to look at joy in circumstances. And challenging issues in our life. Challenging situations. Challenging people. Challenging future Uh, We're going to look at how we can experience supernatural joy in the midst of those circumstances. So let's look at uh, Philippians 1.12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, Paul writes, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now remember, he hadn't seen these people in ten years. Now they had heard about his life and all the different things that he had been through, but this is the first direct communication with him. Again, uh, a letter he was writing to them. And he was saying, what's happened to me? What What happened to Paul? Well, most recently what happened to Paul is that he was in Jerusalem. He was falsely accused. He was in prison. Some thought he was an Egyptian rebel. And he was put into a prison in Caesarea for two years. Now, prisons back in that day didn't have three square meals, didn't have a TV, didn't have... Recreational time, basically, they were somewhat like caves. So when they say throw you in the hole, they really meant throw you in the hole. And many times in these prisons, they did not take care of your needs. They didn't feed you at all. So that's why when they talk about in Scripture, visit people in the prisons, they were just talking about meeting their emotional needs, which is so important. But they were also talking about meeting their physical needs. So if you didn't come and feed a person in prison, they would starve in some prisons because they didn't feed him any food. So Paul was in many different prisons. So believers helped him as he went through those different experiences. Well, he came up to trial and realized that they were going to execute him. So he appealed to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. They didn't realize that. So they sent him off to Rome on a ship and they shipwrecked and he was on the island of Malta, for three months. And then he was eventually transported to Rome, where he was under house arrest for two years. He was in a house, but he's always chained to a Roman guard. That was his circumstance. And from this house, he was writing this letter to the people at Philippi. And the whole theme of the letter is joy. Now, we have to understand the context. Paul was in a difficult situation, but he was writing about this supernatural joy that God gives. Now, I know a lot of you are in pain today. A lot of you are struggling financially, struggling with relationships, struggling with your health. And you say, well, I don't know. I, I've got a unique situation here. I, I'm, in, I'm going through a lot of difficulty and a lot of suffering. Well... Just to show you that Paul has a credibility to speak into your life, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 11:23 through 27. It says, I have worked much harder. Now, he's comparing himself to the false teachers. That's why he's sharing all this information to the people at Corinth. He says, I'm the real deal here, okay? I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. That's what Jesus Christ received. He was flogged. But Paul went through it five different times in his life. He goes on, Three times I was beaten with rods. Think about that. Think about you going through that. Beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So he was out there treading water, waiting for someone to come and save him. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Danger, danger, danger. This guy was living with threats all the time on his life. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now, Do you think that Paul has the authority and the credibility to talk about joy in life? Well, I think he does. Because I look at his life and I say, I've got it really easy. Paul was an Olympian sufferer. He suffered a lot in his life. But still he was able to experience this supernatural joy that we're going to study about. Let's look at verse 12. where We're going to start today encourage you to bring your Bibles on a weekly basis as we study the Word of God together. Now, I want you to know, my brothers at Philippi, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's talking about all of that suffering, being in prison in Caesarea and the shipwreck and now being in jail. All that's happened to me has it served to advance the gospel. That's where his heart was. His heart was where Jesus Christ's heart was. To see people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Advance of territory has the idea of a battle. Taking new territory. In the original language, it speaks of woodcutter, woodcutters cutting away a forest in order that an army might move ahead. And he's saying, because of what I've gone through, God is using this experience to move the gospel ahead, to see more people come to Christ. I witnessed this on Friday night. Uh, my son Tommy and Lori, my wife and I, went uh, to the Harvest Crusade at the All State Arena. How many have been there? Anybody? OK, great. Yeah. Uh, Greg Lori is an evangelist, uh, similar to like a Billy Graham. And he travels around, and he has these huge crusades. On Friday night, there were 14,500 people there. We were sitting behind the speaker because we arrived there a little late. The Allstate Arena uh, was packed out. And that night, I read later, that there were 955 decisions made, either to come into a relationship with Christ or to recommit Their life to Christ. Isn't that great? That's something to celebrate, huh? All right. Yeah. That's supernatural joy. When we see that type of thing happen, that's advancing the gospel. And he was joyful about that. Then he goes into great detail about how God was using him in the Roman leadership. We read in verse 13, "...as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard..." and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he had this Roman soldier who was part of the Praetorium Garden. They were the elite military. They were the secret service of that particular day. They had a lot of influence. Uh, They had some say in who was going to be emperor, so they were politically involved. Obviously, they were the military, so they had that type of influence. Uh, These were significant people that Paul was chained to. And they had maybe three different guards a day, eight-hour shifts, uh, sitting with Paul as he slept, as he did many other things. In fact, we get some more background information in Acts chapter 28. These are the last two verses of Acts. This is what we know about Paul. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly... And without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all we know about Paul's life. A lot of people believe that he was executed after this. Some people believe that he was released. But this is what we know from the Word of God, that he was two years talking to people, preaching to people. Now, you got these Roman guards that are next to him, right? And everybody's coming to visit Paul all the people from the churches at Rome all the people from really around the world who knew that he was there and well let's go visit Paul and so he was he was encouraging these people he was praying with these people he was dictating letters like this in this case to Timothy uh, to take to the church at Philippi he was ministering to people and these Roman guards were hearing it all and I can imagine after a period, of time, there were two different responses these Roman guards had. Number one is that they became Christ followers. After hanging around Paul every day, the Holy Spirit moved within their hearts and they became a believer. The other response is that the, the Roman guard would go to the supervisor and say, you've got to get me out of there. I just can't stand it anymore. <laughs> I mean, he's always talking about God. He's always praying. And they were constantly confronted with the truth. And if their heart was hard, they didn't want anything to do with Paul. Put me anywhere. I'll take any job. Just get me out of that house. Because Paul, of course, was such a powerful witness and a powerful light uh, to them. And what happened was is, is that those Roman guards who came to Christ, what they did is they went and witnessed to others. And more people in leadership became Christ followers. In fact, tradition tells us that Nero, uh, who of course we know is a very evil emperor, killed his wife and his mother-in-law because they were believers. Now why do you think they were believers? Well, I think it was because of Paul's influence. It was Paul's role of planting the seeds of the gospel at that particular time. Now, here's a real interesting thing. Paul's plan was not to be in prison for two years in Caesarea. Paul's plan was not to be in prison for two years in Rome. Nobody plans to go to prison. His plan was to go to Rome as a free man, preach in the churches there, and then go off into Spain... And continue to spread the gospel. Continue to start churches. That was his plan. But God had a different plan for Paul. God had a different plan for Paul. And as Paul reflects upon that plan, he sees this is a much better plan than I had. And he sees how the gospel is advancing through how God is using his life in a very unique way. Not in a way that He had intended. Now friends, we all have plans for our lives. We all have aspirations. We all have dreams. And those are good things to have. But many times our lives don't go in the direction that we anticipated. They go in many times a reverse direction than what we anticipated. But if you're a Christ follower, what you can be guaranteed of is that no matter what direction you your life goes in. That you can live for God. That you can develop a a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. That God can do His work through your life even though it's not the plan that you originally intended. Let's look at the two most well-known verses about dealing with difficulty in our life in the Word of God. James 1, 2-4 Three verses. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you get a flat tire, whenever You lose your job whenever you get sick, whenever the kids are fighting, whenever, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever you're struggling with right now, now, you can consider it pure joy. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? I'm not happy about that. Well, yeah, true. You're not happy about it. But you have a supernatural joy. Now, listen real closely, because this is the essence of what I'm trying to communicate. The goal of the Christian life is to have a deep, intimate, intimate, dependent relationship on Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life. That you would have Jesus Christ at the center of your life. That you would live for Jesus Christ. That you would be empowered through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ would live through you. That Jesus Christ would be the number one person in your life. That is what the Christian life should be all about. Now that's very important because you have to have that kind of perspective to understand this passage. So how can you have God's point of view in life? How can you have this supernatural joy Well, it's by making Jesus Christ who you are. Jesus Christ lives His life through you. Jesus Christ guides you. Jesus Christ directs you. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Everything is about Jesus. So when you have that particular orientation, when you center your life around that, then you can consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds here's the reason. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Whenever we come across challenging situations, we have a choice to make. Are we going to depend upon Jesus Christ? Are we going to let that difficult experience help us to come to know Christ more and more? Or are we going to try to solve it on our own? Are we going to become bitter about it? Are we going to go sour on it? Uh, Those are the two choices we have. We can try to deal with it on our own. That kind of thing. See it as a frustration. See it as a barrier. Or we can embrace it and say, Okay, this is an opportunity to have a stronger relationship with Jesus. And that's the test. Are you going to put your faith in Christ in that particular problem? Or are you not? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as you persevere through a difficult health issue, as you persevere through financial challenges, as you persevere through a relational issue, maybe month after month, maybe year after year, as you continue to turn it over to God, as you continue to say, Lord, I don't have the power to deal with this. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I can't do it on my own. I give it all to you. The more you do that, the deeper your relationship goes with Jesus Christ. And the more you experience life from God's point of view. And God's point of view is that He wants you to grow deeper in Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes for that to happen. Now again, that's not how we naturally think. That's how We're not, we're not naturally wired that way. And that's why we need, again, the power of the Holy Spirit continually transforming the way we think and the way we approach from day to day. So that we can have this supernatural joy that's talked about. So let's think about a difficult circumstance in your life. Okay, Everybody get a difficult circumstance. It's not going to be hard to find one, right? If you don't have one, ask somebody else for theirs. But uh, what is a difficult experience that you're going through right now? Difficult circumstance. Now, ask yourself, how have I been approaching this situation? Have I been trying to deny it? Have I been trying to... To get rid of it? Have I been trying to rebel against it? Am I bitter about it? All the wrong way to approach it. The way you need to approach it is to say, Lord, this is so painful. This is so frustrating. This is so much what I didn't want. But I know that it's been allowed into my life in order that I might cultivate a deeper relationship with Jesus. I know that it's been a part of my life in order that I might depend on Jesus, in order that I might see the, the power of Jesus flow through my life, in order that I might become more mature, that I might become like Jesus by having Jesus live through me. And you can take any problem and you, if you approach life the way God wants you to approach it, by, by having a desire to know Jesus more and more, You can transform any problem into a tool that will accomplish God's desire for you. Now, that's the truth of Scripture. And that's really hard to apply. But friends, that is the essence of how you approach issues, challenges in your life as you look at them as opportunities to grow closer to Christ. Because if you get into a problem... You can either try to solve it yourself, which is not going to work, or you can turn to Christ and say, it's all yours. I'm going to cooperate with you and you're going to lead me along the way. All right. So we can experience joy in challenging situations. The second thing is I can experience joy with challenging people. Do you have any challenging people in your life? Well, at least have one. Uh, Let's look at Philippians 1.14. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul's saying, because I am under house arrest, other brothers and sisters out there, they have been inspired by that. They said, Paul is suffering for the Gospel. So if he's suffering in that way, if I'm free, if I'm not in prison, well, I'm going to go out there and I am going to be a witness. I'm going to represent Paul because he can't be out there doing what He loves to do. I'm going to do what I need to do because I'm inspired by what He is going through. We have to have this same passion to reach people for Christ. We read in Ephesians 6.19 Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the Gospel. That's Paul asking for prayer. You wouldn't think he would need any prayer, right? But he's saying, I want more power in my life to be more of an evangelist to reach more people. And that needs to be the heartbeat at Springbrook. We need to continue to pray for one another. We need to continue to invite people out to our Get the Joy series, friends and neighbors and associates and say, come on out and learn more about what it means to find joy in Jesus Christ. Continue to invite people. The important thing is you invite them. They don't come. That's all up to God. Make that invite, encourage them uh, to come out, and let's pray for each other in that way. Let's pray that we might be more fearless and courageous, and be bold in the way that we approach that. But again, we we go back to Paul's point of view here in relationship to the fact that he's here in chains. He's saying, "Yeah, I'm in chains. I'm in chains, literal chains, figurative chains. I'm in prison." But because of that, good things are happening. Now, he could be whining and complaining about the fact that he's in prison. He can't be out there witnessing to people. But he's saying, no, I'm looking at it from God's point of view. I'm growing deeper in my relationship uh, with God. And he's using it in a great way. And maybe you feel like you're chained to something today. Maybe you feel like you're chained to a marriage. Maybe you feel like you're chained to a job. Maybe you feel like you're chained to... To a health condition. And you say, if I could just cut this chain off. If I could just be free. Things would be so much better. Well, God will determine when that chain will be taken off. But at the same time, as you have that chain on you, two things can happen. Number one, you can have a godly point of view. You can see that chain as an opportunity to grow in deeper dependence on on Jesus Christ. To make Jesus Christ a focus of your life. And secondly, you can be an inspiration to other people. I can't tell you how many times I've been inspired by you. Inspired by the family here. As you have told me about what you're going through. What you're struggling with. And you tell me about the pain. But you also tell me about your faith in Christ. That you're trusting in Christ. That Christ is going to come through. And that you're growing in your relationship with God through that. That inspires me. Because I see what you're going through and I say, wow, that's a lot more difficult than what I'm facing. So I need to be growing like them. You always need to be remembering that people are watching you. People are watching everything that you do. And they're seeing how you especially respond to difficult times. And you're not going to respond perfectly. Of course you're not. We're all sinners. But as you continue to seek out Jesus Christ, as you continue to seek out ways to respond in a, in a way that glorifies God, people are going to notice that. And if they're Christians, they're going to be inspired by it, and if they're believers, or excuse me, if they're not believers, they're going to be moved closer to having a relationship with Christ. Well let's look at Paul's difficult people, Philippians 1:15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. What's going on here? you got people preaching the gospel. And he says one group of people are preaching the gospel because they love God. And they want to do it for the right motivation. Jesus is the heart of their life, and they want to get the good news out. But there's another group of people that are doing it in order... To irritate me. They're doing it in order to discredit me. Now, they're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it for the wrong motivation. I can imagine some of these guys thinking, yeah, Paul, he's a big shot. Everybody talks about Paul, 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 Paul. And the big apostle, the great teacher, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I want some attention. I want some spotlight on me. So uh, Paul is under house arrest. I am going to develop my ministry. I'm going to build my kingdom. And I'm going to show people that I am someone important too. It's not all about Paul. And while I'm doing it, I'll kind of discredit Paul. I'll spread some rumors about why Paul really is in prison. Maybe it was his own fault that he's in prison. Maybe we shouldn't listen to Paul. Maybe I'll throw Paul under the bus a couple times in order to elevate people's image of me. So they were doing it for the wrong reason. And and it was painful to Paul when he heard reports about what people were saying about him, the lies that were spread, the gossip, the rumors, all that kind of stuff. But how does Paul respond? We read in verse 18, he says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. (laughs) What he's saying here. So so what? So what? It doesn't matter what the motive is. The important thing is that Christ is being preached. And because Paul's center was Jesus Christ, and Christ obviously wants people to know about His love, He said, let them go. You know, they could take... You know, pot shots at me. I can take my hits. The important thing is that people know about Jesus, even if the person delivering the message does not have the right motive. That's how we dealt with the difficult people in his life. Now, how about you and I? How do we deal with the difficult people in our lives? Many times we just focus on them. That's all we think about. We think about that person and the pain they're causing us and the frustration Who is that difficult person in your life? Who is the person that's criticizing you? Who is the person that's gossiping about you? Who is the person that's trying to turn other people against you? Who is the person that's trying to sabotage your plans? I know that there are many difficult people out there. I hear about ex-spouses. They can really make life difficult. Right? I hear about bosses. I hear about neighbors. You've got that person in your life, and the question is, how are you going to respond to them? Well, you can become bitter. You can seek revenge on them. Uh, You can try to protect your reputation, all those different types of things. Or, you can take God's way, and you can go back to Jesus Christ, who hopefully is the center of your life, and say, Lord i got a problem here. This person is causing me pain. This person is saying lies about me. And and it hurts. But, Lord, I want You, through this situation, to draw me closer to You. I want to depend upon Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to have a deeper desire for Him because of this situation. This difficult person is going to help me to accomplish my major goal in life, and that is making Jesus Christ the center of my life. Isn't that strange? The difficult person in your life can help you to accomplish your number one goal in life, and that's making Jesus the number one priority. That's developing a deeper relationship with Jesus, being more dependent upon Him. So every time that difficult person comes up, you know, you're praying about that person. You're praying for wisdom, what to say and what not to say and what to do. You're consulting with other people. But most importantly, you're always going to Jesus and saying, Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me the patience. And it, it drives you back to Jesus every time you encounter that issue in your life. Difficult people should drive you to Jesus. Difficult situations should drive you to Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. We also need to remember the blessings that God has for us in life. Philippians 1.16 The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So he's saying, yeah, there are some difficult people that are preaching the gospel with the wrong motivation, but there are some people who are really supportive and encouraging and preaching the gospel for the right motivation. And for them, I'm very thankful. So many times if we... Get focused in on that difficult person, we lose sight of all the people in our life who are encouraging us, supporting us, and taking care of us. The third area about joy in circumstances is I can experience joy with a challenging future. Now, we all have an uncertain future, right? But some of us have a little more focus on what that future might look like. It might be financial issues, it might be a uh, child with special needs. It, it might be our career track. it might be a health issue. How do we face that? Well, we need to have an eternal perspective. We read in Second Corinthians 4:17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. Now, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far away them all. Now, some of you are going through very severe problems. But when you get to eternity, when you look at them in relationship to the world, and now you're in eternity they're going to be considered light and momentary. Light and momentary problems. They don't seem light. They seem heavy. They don't seem momentary. They seem like they're forever. (laughs) Okay, that's how they feel right here. But we need to have God's viewpoint. That we're going to spend millions and millions and millions forever in eternity, right? we got 70, 80 years, whatever down here. And so therefore, what we need to do is we need to say, okay, this is hard for a time but I need to keep my eye on eternity. I don't know what the future is going to hold. It looks like it might not be good. But I know ultimately I'm going to be in heaven. And that's where we need to keep our our eyes. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. That, that's that's the key right there. The problem with all the challenges that we face is we instead of focusing on Jesus, we look at the challenging circumstance. We look at the challenging person we look at the challenging future. And the more we look at those things, the more we're filled with anxiety, the more we're filled with angst, the more we're overwhelmed by life. Stop looking at that stuff and start looking at Jesus. Start looking at your provision. Start looking at your promise. Start looking at your answer. Start looking at your power. Look beyond the circumstance Look beyond the person. Look beyond whatever your thoughts of the future are. are, And look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Not what is seen. Don't look at what's in front of you. Look at what's unseen. And that's Jesus. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Look at your future that you have with Jesus and the future that you can experience with Him now. We go back to Philippians and we see this type of attitude. Verse 18, And because of this I rejoice because the Gospel is being advanced. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me Will turn out for my deliverance, or another word is salvation. There it can also be interpreted that way. I rejoice. I rejoice because I know that your prayers and my relationship with Jesus Christ, the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that's where the power is coming from Paul to deal with difficult people, difficult challenges, and his future. He has confidence about the future because Jesus holds the future. Isn't that beautiful? Then it go goes on to Philippians 1.20. I eagerly expect, he's anticipating, he's excited, and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. That is the Jesus mindset right there. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, that I won't fail, that I won't mess this up, that I won't get focused on other things, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, that Jesus will be the main thing. And the problem is, we're saying, I hope, that I have a great financial future. I hope I have enough money for retirement. I hope I live to 80 with perfect health. I hope that I have three houses across the United States. I hope that I'm able to travel all over the place. I hope that I'm able to rise to the level that I want in my career. Well, I tell you what, friends, you're hoping in the wrong thing. You need to hope in Jesus Christ. This needs to be your focus. This needs to be my focus. But it's not easy because we're sinners. We're broken people. We can't do this on our own. We just need to go to God and say, Lord, I want to be like Paul. Paul inspires me, but I don't have the energy. I don't have the power. I need to depend on you. I want to have your point of view in this life, but it's so hard because I am so hardwired with sin. Forgive me. Give me the power and the insight. Indwell me. Work through me. That's how it happens, friends. And when we have more of this orientation, when we get more and more focused on Jesus instead of, all the things the world wants us to focus on or focused on our problems, the more we're going to be able to cope with life. And we're going to be able to thrive in life. And here comes the memorable verse that many of us know. Philippians one twenty one, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> this is... Uh... This is profound. He says, for me to live as Christ. My, my whole life is centered around Christ. I'm dependent upon Christ. I'm developing a deeper relationship with Christ. This is great. But I tell you what would be better, if I was with Christ. Now that would be awesome. Alright? That would be gain. That's what I'm looking for. So he goes on to have an argument with himself. He says, well, if I'm going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful, fruitful labor." But for me, so if I stay here and cultivate my relationship with Christ, I can help you. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Shall I die or shall I live? I'm not sure. It's not like he's really depressed here thinking of committed suicide. He's saying, you know, I don't know what's better. Living here or living in heaven. He goes on. He says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Amen. Amen. Now, you might say amen, but I don't think we really believe that. I don't think I really believe that. We think this, this earth is better. We're sinners. okay? We think this earth is better. Now, that's why we need to learn about heaven. That's why we need to continue to pray that Jesus would fill our heart with a desire for heaven. But Paul knew this. He was incredibly mature. Um, better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body so what he's saying is I'd rather go to heaven but I'm gonna stay here for you uh, one thing you need to realize about Paul is he had been to heaven he had had a taste of paradise all right second Corinthians 12 look it up so I mean once you taste <laughs> you spend a minute in heaven you're never wanna gonna come back again I did a message on heaven in June if you want to pick that up But heaven is an incredible place. No more sorrow, no more pain. A place that is this world times a million because God designed this world without sin. But sin came into the world and messed it up. Well, He's designed even something better without sin and sin is not going to enter that place. So you can look forward to heaven. You're going to a much better place once you leave this earth if you're a Christ follower. So he says at the end here, verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So he's made a decision. Okay, I, I want to go to heaven, but I'll, I'll stay here for you. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I want you to experience the joy that I have. I want you to have the point of view that I have. I want Jesus to be the center of your world. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He's saying the reason I want to stay on this earth is I want to model for you. I want to teach you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you to make Jesus the center of your life so that you can experience joy no matter what problem you have, no matter what person you have in your life, no matter what fears you have about the future, you can be overflowing with joy. Because Jesus is pure joy, right? That's all Jesus is about. Of course, He grieves over the issues in this world, but He's always working. He's always accomplishing His purposes. He's always moving forward in people's lives. So if you fill your life with Jesus, you're going to have this supernatural joy. And, friends, that's the whole idea of being together as a body of Christ, is that we might know one another and we might see the joy overflowing, and then we're infected by that desire for joy, the desire to know Jesus better, in order that we might deal with everything that comes our way in this life. Now, some of you uh, don't know Jesus. You've never made that decision to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need you. I want you to come into my life. If you want that, please come down after the service and talk with our prayer team or talk with myself or someone else about it. We'd love to give you more information about how you can become a believer or a Christ follower. And you can embrace Jesus. And this can be your life and this can be your eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank You. But it's a very powerful passage that speaks so deeply to what we need in life. Lord, I pray that we would make Jesus the center of our lives. Empower us, inspire us, move us in that direction. Help us to get our eyes off our circumstances. Help us to get our eyes off the things in this world. And to keep our eyes on Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. We've got a brushers come forward this time. We're going to give our gifts to the Lord, thanking Him for all that He's done for us. i uh, show a picture up here. Uh, every year, uh, they have something here in the United States called See at the Pole. And they encourage high school and junior high kids to come out and get around their flagpole early in the morning on this particular day and they pray. Well, it happened this past week. And I was talking with Justin, our youth pastor. And he said that at the school Springbrook